0: All right, I'm gonna read to you four sayings, some of which I'm sure you've heard, some of which I'm sure you have not heard. But what I wanna do is ask you which ones you've heard. All right, so, what you see is what you get. Yeah? Awesome. Seeing is believing. Yeah, I've heard that ever since I was a little kid. Here's the one I don't think you've heard from Albert Einstein, but if you've heard it, hey, put up your hand. Reality is merely an illusion, Albeit a very persistent one. Where did you guys hear this? You're all geniuses. Somebody had it on a t-shirt, didn't they? Perception is reality. Yeah? Well, here's what I believe. Reality is reality. I get what they're saying about perception. Because sometimes you think you see something, but you really didn't see what you thought you see saw, and then you do something, you behave based on what you think you saw, and that affected the outcome. So they say perception is reality, but it's really not. Our brains are real real interesting. Let's say I had in front of the sanctuary um, a huge brick wall, and I ask you to look at the brick wall, and you look at it, I say, can you see the whole brick wall? And let's say it was 20 feet long, and you'd say, yeah, I can see the whole brick wall. No, you don't because our brains don't work that way. What our eyes and brains do together is they see a pattern, but they see it in pieces, and then the brain fills in the rest and tells you it's there, even though you're not literally seeing every piece. That's really how they work. That's why optical illusions are what optical illusions are, because your brain is messing with your eyes, trying to make sense out of something that it's not really seeing what it thinks it's seeing. Perception is not reality. What you see is not necessarily what you get. How many of you have ever flinched because you thought something was going to hit you, only to laugh at yourself because that wasn't really what's going to happen at all? I remember one time going like this, only to realize it was my own floaters. You know, if you don't know what floaters are, they're little pieces that float around inside the fluid in your eyeballs. And it's like, whoa, what is that? It's like, crazy man, look at these ducking nothing. When I was a real little kid, we were driving, we lived in in Connecticut, we were driving through the woods, you're always driving through the woods in Connecticut. And um, my stepdad stopped the car and he said to his, his wife, my mom, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Kids, don't look. Just, just just don't look. Okay. Wonder what they see. I don't know what they see. Next thing you know, a squad car pulls up with the lights on and they're going over into the bushes. And they said, "Okay, you can look now." They pulled out a mannequin from the bushes. So it was like I think the top half of a female mannequin or the bottom half stuck in the They thought it was a dead body. It was nighttime. It was in the woods. What you see isn't always what you get. Had they had to leave at that very moment before the cops showed up, they would have said, oh yeah, I saw. How many of you have ever seen a UFO? Don't be ashamed. All that means is you've seen something that you don't know what it was flying through the air. I'm not asking you if you've seen a ship from outer space. (laughs) Because if it was a ship from outer space, it wouldn't be a UFO. You'd know exactly what it was. A UFO is something that goes through the sky, and you're like, what was that? Do you see that? Yeah, I see that. What is it? I don't know what it is. I've never seen that before, neither have I. Your brain's trying to make sense of something it's not familiar with. I'm gonna show you a video that'll prove to you that what you see isn't always what you get, that you can't trust your own senses, that what you see isn't always real. Let's take a look. And you answer to me as you look at these dice moving. Are these dice going forward or backwards, up or down? Oh, they're going down, Steve. That's obvious for anybody to plainly see. Oh, no, 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 they're going up. They're going, oh, wait a minute. No, no, they're going down. And they're not changing directions. They're constantly, oh, they're going up again. But they're not changing directions. Isn't that the freakiest thing? It's an optical illusion. Your brain is trying to make sense of it, filling in the holes. And frankly, it's freaking you out. That's all that's going What you see is not always what you get. There's a story in the Bible where perception is not reality. In fact, the entire tribes of Israel are gathered for a battle. And they all see one thing, except for one little guy sees something different. Perception is not reality. And it just so happens that his perception is the right one, and everybody else's is wrong. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines gathered for battle in Soko, a town in Judah. Let's take a look at where Soko is and where the Valley of Elah is. You got a picture for me up there? There we go. So now you know exactly where David and Goliath and the whole Philistine army gathered against Israel. Here's what we've got going. Okay, this is where it says Saul's camp was, up on this hill. Here's the Valley of Elah. Here's where the opposing army was. So, and there's Soko. So they were in this general area. They gathered together to battle. The Philistines gathered for battle in Soko, a town in Judah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in Elah Valley, where they got ready to fight the Philistines. The Philistines lined up on one hill, the Israelites on another with a valley between them. And as you notice, oh, go back one more. Sorry about that. There's a valley here and there's a valley here. So we've got two valleys. It looks like they might have fought in here and then fled this way. Well, why would they flee? You'll see. A man named Goliath from the city of Gath came out from the Philistine camp to challenge the Israelites. All right, here's how many ancient battles were fought. One, gro- they make a phone call. Of course, they didn't have phone calls in those days, but they make a phone call. Hello? Is this the king of the Philistines? Why, well, yes, it is. Who's this? Hi, this is the king of the Israelites. How can I help you? Your mama. you talking about my mama? Your mama. You want to fight about it? Meet you in the Valley of Elah. Be there in the spring. You better be. So they show up. And then they look at each other, and they start all over again. And they start calling each other names. Your god stupid! My god can beat up your god any day. Your women are ugly. You, t- you talking about my women? They would try to get each other angry enough to fight. I guess they didn't want to just fight. They had to work themselves into a frenzy, beat on their spears. <laughs> dude, if you want to fight, just fight. But they'd do all this crazy taunting. And then they have this thing where they'd say, hey, let's just settle it like men. You send out a warrior. We'll send out a warrior. We'll watch him fight. If your warrior wins, we'll serve you. If our warrior wins, you serve us. Deal? Deal. So they sent out a warrior. They sent out Goliath. He was over nine feet tall wore a bronze armor that weighed about 125 pounds and a bronze helmet. His legs were protected by bronze armor, and he carried a bronze javelin slung over his shoulder. His spear was as thick as the bar on a weaver's loom, and its iron head weighed about 15 pounds. And a soldier walked in front of him carrying a shield. Do we got a picture here of how big Goliath compared to David might have been? I think I gave you one, but I'm asking for it earlier, and I know that. Let's take a look, see if you can find it. Goliath was huge. He was, it says, over nine feet tall, probably pushing ten, at least nine and a half. And that's using the conservative estimate of measurement, the cubit. They could have used another cubit, which was bigger and would have made Goliath even bigger. But I think he's big enough at over nine feet tall. It says his armor, weighed 125 pounds. That was the armor he wore. Of course, you know how much 125 pounds is, but how big and strong do you have to be to be able to fight in armor that heavy? Now, the typical Jewish man in those days, so David, was probably about five foot five and weighed somewhere between 125 and 145 pounds. So basically, Goliath went to battle with somebody David his size strapped on David was like a toddler up against me. That would have been the size disparity. So, hey, want to fight? You send out a champion, we'll send out one. <laughs> they knew what they were going to send out. And when Goliath came out, everybody just went, We thought all the giants were dead. Obviously, there's still some left. Can you imagine? Okay, who's going to go fight him? <laughs> I remember they scattered like ants. The man wasn't just big. He didn't have like a disease that made him extra tall and he could barely walk and needed a cane. He was a massive warrior. Now, a javelin was a throwing weapon. He had one on his back, he had a sword. A spear was a thrusting and stabbing weapon. So, what I did is I asked somebody in the congregation to make me a spear with a head about the same weight of the head of Goliath's spear. <laughs> All right? But it's leverage. Ah, I can lift it. The only way I could win with battle with this thing is if I drop it on somebody's head. He had to be strong enough to use this in quick thrusting motions. So even the people who are Bible skeptics and say, come on, you know Goliath wasn't really that tall. Maybe you misunderstood the measurement of the cubit. Fine. If he wasn't nine feet tall, he was definitely nine feet wide to carry something this big into battle and this heavy. And I'm not faking how big this, how heavy this thing is. By the way, my stick is probably a lot smaller than his stick was. I just know the measurements of the head, so that's what I gave to you, the weight after services you're all welcome to come up here and lift up this thing to feel how heavy it is just be careful with it if it falls on your feet it's your fault not mine just be careful with it Ah. he was a monster so Goliath's over nine feet tall he comes to the battle everybody runs from him But there was one guy who wasn't scared of him at all. Now, Goliath had gone out and taunted the Israelites for the better part of a month. (laughs) David wasn't there. He wasn't part of this war. He was home feeding the sheep. But Dad sent him to bring some supplies for his brothers and his commander. So David comes, and then he hears this challenge that had been going on for roughly a month or whatever it was. I don't remember. Here's what David sees. Here's what David hears. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. There is no way. Nobody's going to go up against this guy. David was not afraid at all. David said to Saul, Your Majesty, no one should be afraid of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. What did David see that the rest of them did not see? Or what did the rest of them see that David didn't see? Somebody's perception of reality here is definitely skewed. Because obviously, David isn't seeing the world the way these guys are. Because he's like, I'll go. Little 5'5 David probably weighs 125, 140 pounds. I'll go fight him. (laughs) Little pipsqueak of a man compared to Goliath. What did David see? I'll tell you what David saw. He saw a pagan follower of a foreign God insulting the God of Israel and his people. That's what David saw. He didn't care whether Goliath was nine foot nine or two foot nine. This guy was insulting God's people and challenging God, and he wasn't going to stand for it. That's what David saw. Whatever everybody else saw really doesn't matter. The perception, Goliath is big and strong, and we can't beat him. He's frightening and horrible. The reality, David is tougher than Goliath. But nobody could see that. They tried to send him. His brothers mocked him and told him to go home for offering to fight the giant. You're just an arrogant little brat. Go home. David was probably in his 20s, so he's a full-grown man. The perception, from the children of Israel was, our biggest problem is Goliath. The perception from David's perspective was, our biggest problem is this man insulting our God and his people. Perception versus reality. Things are not always as they appear. David didn't see Goliath. Of course he saw him. David saw God. You see, here's what we see. We see David. We see Goliath. All David saw was Goliath and God. And he said, what am I? This guy doesn't even measure up. David had his eyes on God, not on Goliath. That's why he wasn't scared of Goliath. Totally reminds me of something that happened in David's future with the apostle Peter. Peter and the other disciples were in a boat stormy night on the Sea of Galilee, and they think they see a ghost walking on the water. Perception is not reality. They shout it out. Ah, a ghost! And Jesus said, no, 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 it's not a ghost, it's me. Don't worry, don't be afraid, it's me. Peter says, it's you? Well, then let me come out to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So he steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water to Jesus. At that moment... A big wave came by, a gust of wind or something. Peter took his eyes off the Lord and saw the wave and went, Ah, help me, Lord, I'm sinking. Why? He was walking on water to Jesus. How did anything possibly distract him and scare him at that point? Now, don't get down on Peter. He was the only one brave enough to get out of the boat. (laughs) Okay, so Peter's all right. But still... As soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, he sank. David never took his eyes off the Lord. He was never scared of Goliath. All those other Israelites never had their eyes on the Lord. So Goliath was a big, scary monster. So David offers to fight Goliath. He goes up to King Saul. Saul says, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a warrior since he's been a boy. David was no mamby-pamby boy. He had already shown himself to be a mighty warrior. In our culture, people hunt with rifles. You can kill an animal at a couple hundred yards, 300 yards with a rifle. That grizzly bear doesn't even have to know you're in his state. And the next thing you know, it he's up on your wall going like this. If a grizzly bear or a lion... David killed a lion, is charging a man with a rifle, let's say from 100 yards. It's only a few seconds for the speed a lion can go. That man with the rifle is scared to death because it's anybody's guess who's gonna win this fight at that point. He better hit, he better hit it, and he better hit it good. There are plenty of stories of rhinos and lions dropping at the feet of the man with the gun. Lions are ferocious beasts. And the only way to go after them is with a rifle with a two, three hundred yard range because you might lose otherwise. David killed one with his bare hands. You know, God was with this young man. (laughs) But nevertheless, he said, Hey, I've taken on a lion, I've taken on a bear, I can take on this monster. I'm not worried. He took a shepherd's stick, picked up five smooth stones from the stream put them in his bag. With his sling ready, he went out to meet Goliath. Now, why does it say he picked up five smooth stones? What, why the detail in the scripture? It never tells us why, but I can tell you this. Goliath had four brothers. Is it a coincidence that he picked up five stones for five giants? Or is that exactly why he, I'm going to take down Goliath, and one down, four to go. I'm going to get me some giants. That's my guess. I don't know. But it specifically mentions he took five stones, and it does mention elsewhere that Goliath had four brothers. (laughs) Very interesting. Goliath says to David, What's that stick for? Do you think I'm a dog? And he called down curses from his God on David. Come on, I'll give your body to the birds and animals to eat. And then David answers, You're coming against me with a sword, a spear, a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the Israelite army, which you have defied. David doesn't even wear any armor. Saul tries to get David to try and his. David says, This is awkward. I'm not used to it. I don't want any armor. So this guy's all made up in battle armor nine feet tall. David goes out there with a stick and a sling. Goliath is insulted. They send this to me? Talk about shaming him. And then he uses the big words, we will eat your flesh and da-da-da-da-da. But David's no mamby-pamby guy. He speaks back. Here's what David says. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the Israelite armies, which you have defied. This very day, the Lord will put you in my power. I will defeat you and cut off your head. Whoa. And I will give the bodies of the Philistine soldiers to the birds and animals to eat. Then the whole world will know that Israel has a God. And everyone here will see that the Lord does not need swords or spears to save his people. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Goliath starts walking toward David, and David ran quickly to fight him. I see, David was like on a leash, like a pit bull, going for a fight. He couldn't wait to go. Everybody else was running like, like chicken babies. And David's like, let me go, let me go. And they let go of the leash, and he runs at the giant. He wasn't even, he was anxious for the fight. Bring it on. And I could just imagine what went on in the eyes and minds of the people when he's running towards Goliath. He slings, wham, and boom, and he falls over. Done, like that. I could just imagine everybody going. (laughs) Then David gets over to him, jumps up on him, pulls out his sword, Goliath's sword, whacks off his head and goes. All the Philistines dropped their armor and ran. And then the Israelites went after him, pursued him all the way back to the doors of their hometown. What a story. David single-handedly saved the nation of Israel that day. I told you this was all about perception. Everybody saw a giant except one little man who just saw somebody insulting God and his people and said, I am not putting up with that. You know, David, by his actions, shamed all those soldiers. But by his words, he never did. He should have said, shame on you. You're the mighty warriors of Israel and you let cower before this guy? Shame on you. He didn't do that. He just said, I'll do it. If you guys won't do it, I'll do it. Point me in the right direction and let me go. What I want to send you home with today is this one thing. It's for you when life is hard, when things are almost unbearable, and it's for your friends for the same thing and even more so for your friends who haven't given God a chance in their life. Your friends who will say something like this, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe in hell. Or, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. You can't trust what you believe. Perception is not reality. If you can't even trust what you see, how in the world can you trust what you believe in based on nothing? How can you just dismiss the fact that there's no hell or no God? Where do you get that from? if perception isn't reality, certainly your opinion can't be trusted. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking they can trust their own perception of reality. I've got one more video to drive that point home. If you're not a believer yet, by the time you see this video, you're going to believe you cannot trust your own perception of reality. Check it out. Clearly, somebody in this room
1: murdered Lord Smythe, who, at precisely 3.34 this afternoon, was brutally bludgeoned to death with a blunt instrument. I want each of you to tell me your whereabouts at precisely the time that this dastardly deed took place.
2: I was polishing the brass in the master
1: bedroom. I was buttering his lordship's scones below stairs, sir. Why, I was planting my petunias in the potting shed. Constable, arrest Lady Smythe. Well, but, but how did you know? Madam, as any horticulturist will tell you, one does not plant petunias until May is out. Take oh. her away. That's It's just a matter of observation. The real question is
0: how observant were you? We need to see the rest. Uh,
1: action. Clearly, somebody in this room murdered Lord Smythe, who, at precisely 3.34 this afternoon, was brutally bludgeoned to death with a blunt instrument. I want each of you to tell me your whereabouts at precisely the time that this dastardly deed took place.
2: I was polishing the brass in the
1: master bedroom. I was buttering his lordship's scones below oh. stairs, sir. Sorry. Well, I was planting my petunias in the potting shed. Constable,
0: arrest Lady Smythe. Yeah, you know what, when I first saw that, I didn't believe, you can kill it now, I did not believe they really made 21 changes. So I went back and saw the video from the beginning, and sure enough, everything you saw them switch out was actually there in the first run through the video. They did that right in front of your face without you even having a clue. Perception is not reality. What you see is not always what you get. We cannot trust our own perspective on things. Well, if we can't trust our own perception, our own judgment, then whose do we trust? You know it. The Bible says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. That verse means a lot more to me now after this. Listen to what the Bible says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because it's not trustworthy, we can be so easily duped, deceived, and fooled. Who knows what kind of flim-flam they're pulling on you on CNN and Fox News all the time. Stuff that they know they're pulling on you and stuff they're pulling that they don't even know they're pulling on you. Their perception of reality is just as skewed as ours. And what happens when Satan gets behind it and steps it up like only an evil demonic being can? I'm telling you, we cannot trust our own judgment and perception of things. We need somebody else to trust. I ever tell you the story about when I was a little kid and the boogeyman in my bedroom... Huh? Let me tell you about the boogeyman in my bedroom. True story. Could also tell you about the spider that that was that big in my bedroom. Maybe I'll tell you about both. I wonder if that was the boogeyman's pet. I don't know how old I was. I had to be under five, I was little. And I remember screaming out for my mom because there was somebody in my closet. I saw him standing in the shadows, hiding. And so I called for my mom. Looked in the closet and said, there's no one in there. Go back to bed. You were just dreaming. She went back to bed. Ma! He's there! He's there! Mama! Finally, on the third time, she turned on the light, showed me all the clothes, left, and said it was my imagination. I'm telling you, I saw the boogeyman in my closet. Perception is not reality. I could have swore there was somebody in that closet. There wasn't. But the way the clothes fell and the light hit the clothes, how many of you have ever seen the face of Mars? the face on Mars. Oh yeah, for years they were talking about as proof of alien uh, civilization because they took a photo of Mars and there was a, a huge face, bigger than the Pyramid of Egypt, on Mars. But then as technology got better and they got more photos, they took it from different angles and it was just the way the shadows was hitting a mountain range. But it looked like a face. Well, I saw the boogeyman, but there was no boogeyman. You've seen the face, but there is no face. You can't trust your own perception even on things that you see, let alone the unseen world, heaven, hell, and the afterlife. Do not trust your own judgment. Trust God's judgment. He sees all. He knows all and will not lead you astray. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So Michaela and I, we went out of town. None of the rest of the family wanted to go. So Michaela and I went. We went up to Pine Top. On the way to Pine Top, we took this cool route that was supposed to save us some time. Sure it would have if it wasn't for the accident that shut off the road, the whole road. Detour. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. My GPS isn't even going to work here. I don't know where to go from this detour. So we turn on the detour, and we drive at about 60 miles an hour for about a half hour in the opposite direction where we're going, till we get to the next major street. And I said, well, it's head north-ish. we got to go northeast-ish. Let's take the road. I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to do. We could have been really annoyed that our trip took us an extra hour and a half that day. <laughs> but it's all in how you look at it. said, you know what, Michaela? We're on vacation. We got all the time in the world. Could have been us in the accident. I'm upset that I'm inconvenienced. There's probably dead people just right up the road. I prayed for the, 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 the people in the accident, their family. I thought I was having a bad day until I really thought about it. I'm having a great day. On the way back, we're at the Grand Canyon. Seen enough? Seen enough. Want to go home today instead of tomorrow? Yeah, let's go home today. Okay, we got to get this bus to get back to our car. We get on the bus. Where's this bus taking us? Did we see this coming up? No. Are we on the right bus? I think so. I thought so, too. Take out my phone, get on the maps. Oh, we're supposed to be on the purple bus, not the blue bus. And we're going, and we're going, and we're going. It's like, oh, man, where are they taking us? We probably lost a good 45 minutes before we got on the right bus on the to go home early and we end up getting on the wrong bus. Stupid, 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 why do I do these things? So we get back to the hotel, we check out, we get in the car and say, well, we'll still make it home by between eight and nine, it's good, it's all good. So we're just coming down into Phoenix and those big billboards you know they have over the freeways now to tell you about uh, missing children and traffic accidents and stuff, sure enough it said, accident ahead, left two lanes closed. Well, that's exactly where I had to get off of 17 to get back onto the 10 to go to Tucson. Left two lanes, and they're both closed. What do I do? Where do I go? I'm confused. I'm lost. Well, okay, honey, turn on the GPS real quick. We'll try to find another route um, and while I'm trying to get over. Everybody else is trying to get over. The traffic's horrible. And I'm like, oh, we could be stuck here for an hour. But just as I get up to where the cones are, because nobody let me over, the DPS officer is picking up the cones. It's over, it's clear. Go around. And woo! I get home. Got my route. And I'm like, "Oh man, I thought it was going to be another delay." And then I realized, well, "What if we hadn't hit that 45-minute delay in Grand Canyon? Maybe we would have been in that accident." Or if not in it, stuck in that traffic before the cops got there and the freeway opened up, we could have been, we could have sat there for hours. If not dead, wishing we were. <laughs> It's not reality, it's your perception of reality. The Bible says, all things work together for good for those that love God. You may not see it, you just got to believe it. You got to trust God, you can't trust your own judgment. Yes, when you're suffering and life is miserable, nobody says it feels good. But God promises to make some good come out of it for those who love him. And that, you got to believe that, you got to trust that. Or you can get all bent out of shape and be miserable following your own judgment on things. Let me tell you something the Bible says that most people don't want to listen to, don't want to believe, and will even get mad at you if you tell them it's what the Bible says. We're all lost in our sin and going to hell, and we will suffer there forever if we don't believe in Jesus. How can you say that? That's very narrow. That's very judgmental. I'm not judging anything. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Well, I don't believe in hell. But you can't trust your own judgment. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. But you can't trust your own judgment. Who is you going to trust then? Hopefully, you will trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, you will acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Seeing is not always believing. Perception is not reality. Please join me in prayer. Okay, Lord, we get it. And thank you. Thank you for showing us the truth and the right way. Thank you for guiding our steps and watching over us. And thank you for giving us a book that tells us your heart, your ways on things, so that we don't have to lead ourselves astray with our own opinions and perceptions. But Lord, I know many within my family, many of our friends and our relatives who continue to trust in their own judgment despite the overwhelming evidence that they should not Oh, Lord, please open their hearts before it's too late for them. And please use us, Lord, as ambassadors of grace to share the truth about you and your Son to a willing, open, and obedient people. For it's in your Son Jesus' name we pray. And if that's your prayer, please join me and say, Amen. Amen.
2: for blessings we pray for peace comfort for family protection while we sleep we pray for healing What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray your mercies in disguise
0: God loves you there's something going on in your life right now that makes you feel otherwise. We've got some men and women that would like to meet you over in the prayer room, pray with you, encourage you, and just help you feel a little better. Um, If you've not given your life to Christ, I'd like to urge you to do that. And we have some materials in the back for you as well. Our perception is not reality. The reality is that the Lord's coming back. And when He does, there's not going to be a smile on His face. He's coming to judge the earth. But for those who have chosen him as their Lord, as their King, as their Savior, he'll have a big smile on his face. I'd like to encourage you to turn from your sins and ask the Lord to forgive you. Tell him you believe Jesus died for you and rose again and that you're willing to follow him with your life.